Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach. In 2005, Emma Sale founded Killing Kittens, a bold and empowering brand that spoke to sexually adventurous women, men and couples who were looking for more and they found it. Killing Kittens' famous hedonistic events challenged society's shameful stigmas around sex with a mission to eradicate archaic gender rules in the KK community, women are in charge. Encouraged to proudly embrace their sexuality, singles and couples let go of their inhibitions and take control of their own personal sexual discovery journeys in the pursuit of female pleasure. Today, as the world's fastest growing sex positive social network, Killing Kittens and its partnering brands liberate thousands of people across the world. Its inclusive community is alive and rich and fulfilling experiences that encourage and enable members to express their most sexual and sensual selves, helping them to live life to the fullest. Now let's sit back and listen to my chat with Emma. Yeah, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure. It's a someone I've known for for a while. Met up, I think it'd be probably over ten years ago now when I was uh, last in England. But she's created this business, which I think is unbelievable, and we're going to talk a bit about it. So, Emma Sale, welcome to the Beach Shack. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Let's kick it off from you've grown up in England. So, what was that like? You've pretty much gone to school over there and and came through uh growing up in the european culture yeah so i had an in like an interesting upbringing in uh i was at school in england and i went to boarding school when i was seven and a half before i turned eight so i was always at school in england and all girls school all the way through until 18 but my parents moved every two years and they were abroad so I grew up, you know, in Northern Ireland. So right at the beginning when all, you know, the early 80s, late 70s, when that was all kicking off over there. And then mum always said dad was in, always posted to the wrong place at the wrong time. So got went to Berlin in the summer of 1989. And what happened in that, that autumn, the wall came down. So, yeah, so that, so we were in Berlin sort of when I was about 12, for about three years. And then moved to, we lived in the middle of Cairo for three years and lived and then moved to Kuwait. So I was in Kuwait the whole of my uni year. So I was at university in England the whole time and then I'd fly back. So I always kind of, I had this kind of mishmash upbringing of, yeah, very English and also very privileged really in the, you know, very posh English boarding school on one level. And then actually seeing a lot of the world and I sort of, I like being friends with all the locals. I never liked being the expat and only friends with English. So I'd be smoking shisha pipes and playing backgammon on the streets of Cairo <laughs> with like the local butcher's sons <laughs> and things. So, and going to crazy parties in Kuwait and the, you know, the shakes like desert pads and stuff. So yeah, I had an amazing 
amazing upbringing, which you can't, you know, not many people have that opportunity to, yeah, have kind of both sides to it and um, see as much as I did, but with the safety of being in at school in England. And you would have learnt a lot, wouldn't you, with different cultures, different countries, something kids these days I don't think get that much of. Yeah, and that's in the, you learnt loads and also had a dad who sort of, we were military, but also, you know, loved camping in the middle of nowhere and doing adventures. And I was a real daddy's girl. So I kind of, it was that, that freedom and the crazy and doing stuff that you, yeah, just it was so unsafe on so many levels all the time. And um, <laughs> that I try, you know, I've got three kids and try and I want them to do crazy stuff because I look around and like the helicopter parenting and the cotton wool parenting that, that goes on now. And, and, you know, even worse, that it was it was bad enough before COVID, the last two years, it's sort of ridiculous. So, you know, I've got my, I've taught my five-year-old that germs are good for you. And she, I heard her telling some of her friends, so germs are good for you. You know, it kind of, it's, it's sort of, <laughs> it's, yeah, you need it. You need that adventure. And, and it is, it's really missing in kids nowadays, big time. Yeah, oh, 100%. I mean, I remember growing up, mum would be out in the dirt and mum wouldn't care. She says, yeah, yeah, get some germs. You'll build up the immunity. And that's what we did as kids back then. Yeah, I always joke about you want kids licking the pavements and snogging the dogs. And I read a <laughs> thing about actually get babies that grow up with dogs. Their immune system's like 70% stronger or something. And I remember reading that. And we had our first newborn when Raph, the oldest, was like, a few weeks old and I'm watching the dog sort of would just come in from me he was licking the pavement the pavement streets in London and licking his own, own arsehole and then suddenly he turned around and snogged the baby's face and you go yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> now I can see how that works <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> well you did start a business which we'll get into now it's called Killing Kittens now where did that name come from because there'll be a lot of people that will know what we're talking about and there'll be a lot of listeners that may have never heard of it the Killing Kittens where it came from, it, it was, I'd always wanted to launch something to do with like women's sexuality and just to screw the system that I just thought it was very biased. I'm sure we'll come on to the ins and outs of the business in a bit. So um, <laughs> on the name front, it, I was at a wedding in Ibiza and it was a very hedonistic wedding in a bit and a quite well-known crowd in London who were sort of at it left, right and centre of each other and they had these really strong women involved and someone who couldn't make the wedding phoned in and said, "Are you? is everyone just sat around killing kittens at the moment? And we had this conversation. It, it's a cyber slang for every time you masturbate god kills a kitten so it's surprising actually how few people ever ask me why it's called that because it's the most ridiculous name for a business um and you know we couldn't get a bank account for the first five years because of animal cruelty so we had to change our business name the limited company name that with the bank account was through so but yeah it's slang for yeah every time you ask me you you kill a kitten so if you're killing kittens then you're just sort of you know wanking a lot <laughs> so um yeah so kind of and I liked and I just suddenly went that's it I like the and right from day one it was KK so everyone knows it are you going to a KK party are you a member of KK it's sort of the letter K is a very powerful letter so it's sort of everything about it just it was one of those light bulb moments of a name of that's it that's the name well I think the brand kicked off in 2005 is that is that correct yeah it was like 17 years ago so it was kind of and I've told you and actually it's good that you know the, the my background like growing up because that's a big sort of feeder into when you see growing up you see so many cultures so many religions so much going on and you at all, all girls boarding school as well you, you where you get taught that you know being a girl that doesn't matter you can do exactly the same things as boys it's an equal world it so I kind of had a very sort of 
you know, cotton wool kind of thief of like, as a girl, you were equal and you could do everything boys did. But then I'd go out into the real world and the holidays and stuff, especially in the Middle East, and see the way women were treated um, and girls were treated and had a very narcissistic kind of controlling dad as well, who was very sort of women know your place with mum. So kind of I had real mixed messages sort of going on and again it's all kind of it all fed in and it I say the I had this fire in my belly that just kept getting stoked this isn't right this isn't right and then you kind of get older and you come into the dating world and the at university and and seeing that um you know that men can do everything that you know want dating wise and sleep with as many women as they want and they're legends and high-fived and no one gives a shit but god forbid the minute back then i mean you know it's still bad now but not as much god forbid a girl had a one-night stand back then and the slut shaming and the guilt and all that it just sort of it kept stoking the fire in me and i was early 20s and obviously in that dating world and just sort of that shame and the guilt and um, and also, but it was a time when sort of Sex and the City had come out and Lalo, which I don't know if it's like, you have Lalo sex toys in Australia, you probably do, but they um, had suddenly started selling in Selfridges, which is the big department store in London, the really smart one, and, and Summers, which is sort of a sex toy company, had started having shops on the high streets in London. So it was kind of this female, well, they called it sort of a female sexual revolution in the chat going on in the media and women actually being able to have these conversations about sex, their sex lives and sex toys. And, and I just went, yeah, well, it's kind of, it's bollocks. They're saying that, but actually the reality isn't, where's a safe space where loads of people are too scared to talk to, you know, talk to about sex to their girlfriends for fear of being judged and stuff. So I just wanted to, and I started doing the PR for this big event called the Erotica Show, which is a big kind of trade show in the adult industry. And again, it hit me that it was all men and it was all run by men and all the brands are men, even women's lingerie, women's sex toys, were men owning the companies saying and designing it, male designers going, well, this is what women want. And again, that raged and <laughs> stoked the fire even more to go, I'm sorry, but can we not have a voice and say what we want without men telling us what we're supposed to want and supposed to think and supposed to behave? And so it's kind of a bit of a, you know, I was a bit of a rebellious pain in the ass in my 20s, so it was a bit of a fuck <laughs> you. Um, I'm going to launch something and flip the world on its head and launch this world where online and offline, where women are at the core of it and in control and can explore their sexuality and if they want to invite men, they can, or they can come on their own. So it kind of, it started as parties, like monthly parties, and then the online has grown. And obviously it was at when the digital world was beginning to explode and social media was, you know, I think Facebook started about the same time and stuff. So we always had kind of online forums and chat groups and that side is what has snowballed and now on paper we're a tech business we're considered a tech business we do all the events which are you know massive and in lots of cities around the world um but the actual core of the business now is sort of an adult it's like it's like facebook meets bumble meets whatsapp is the technology we've we've built that's all been sort of rolling out in the last two three years and um and that's yeah so we sort of wanted to create the world's sort of first adult social networks where you can have your adult life and share interesting articles ask interesting questions join different chat groups do sex education workshops and webinars and master classes um without being you know censored and without you know your kids your teenage kids being a member of facebook or instagram like they are now and then you've got linkedin which is the business one so we were like well we want to be your adult your adult social network is yeah it's kind of what's evolved in the last 17 years <laughs> so you're saying it was a monthly thing to start with well what what did that yeah, you put on the parties. What did that entail? 
So the parties, um, and, you know, they're very similar now. They're just sort of more people and more often. But so the party, the first parties we had had about 60, 70 people. And you had to be a member to come along and submit photos and submit bios of why you want to come along. And it was the women um, who was at the control of that. And if they wanted, so we only let, we didn't let in single men. Um, um, every man that came along had to be accompanied by a woman. So it was sort of couples or, you know, close. You're, you're basically vouching for the guy you're bringing bringing along um are there masks so everyone comes in masks to start with they always sort of start with cocktails or champagne reception we often have like an oyster shaka there we now you know we have performers so like burlesque cabaret kind of type performers often djs depending on the, the venue um and then so they come and i would say it's sort of like a private house party where the wheels come off and suddenly it's sort of you go from people are having drinks and then where is everyone and in the playrooms if you wander off to the rooms you'll just find 40 people naked in one room 30 in another um but the one rule you know our main rule that we have which we also have across all the website side of it or is that women make the first move so you can't a man can't approach a woman they don't know um they have to wait for the girl to speak to them first so that's um and we have that on the site as well so if you like someone if a guy, you go, a guy can like a girl but unless the girl likes them back then you can't spam them with a with you know unsolicited dick pics no one yeah. likes that so um yeah so that's how it is <laughs> So it sounds like it's a great idea to have where the women have the power. So you're sort of empowering the women. Yes, and and that's the thing because ultimately kind of we say, you know, it comes down to confidence. And the more we've done it in the last 17 years, it kind of, it is, it's, it's women's confidence that stops, you know, it's not really a gender gap. It's a confidence gap that stops women and men from bedroom to boardroom, basically. Um, So... That giving them that that control and making them feel it's about them and and I, and now you know we and we get groups of girls that come along that they don't want to you know they don't want to have sex they just want to dance around in their underwear and that's enough and that's you know it's sort of getting that control and we have people coming out of abusive relationships or forced marriages and it's very much it's them getting that control back and feeling like you know they are empowered and they it is on their terms and I think that's been you know the big problem that well, most of the world, most industries has been very much patriarchal kind of terms. Um, and especially in the, you know, in, when it comes to sexuality, it's sort of, we've been told what to do, but it kind of goes against the biology of, of how we're made up, really, what we're meant to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, and the feedback from the women is that they really enjoying this style that they've got that power. Where And how do the men deal with that? But, you know, that's the thing. It kind of, you get, it all, again, comes down to confidence and security. You get, you know, you get some men and, you know, it's kind of the big alpha kind of control. And when it's not about, they're used to being in control. They're used to the world being about them and on their terms. And it's their playing field and they can move the pieces and do what they want. Um, But when you suddenly go, it's not about you. It's literally not about you. And you're not, you're a passenger, in this in this journey that goes against every sort of you know bone in their body so we yeah we get the odd arsey one um but to be honest, most of the men most of the men love it because actually most of the men that come along are with women and they've had the conversations they're exploring together they're very secure in their relationships um so and they you know when i've had the conversations with the guys it's 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 been like why would you not want your other half to be confident and secure because actually a confident secure female is going to be more open and up for trying new things sexually and exploring and than an insecure one. So surely it's a bit of a win-win situation. 
that if you know if you're the half if the, you know the what your wife or girlfriend or whatever um feels secure and empowered and that it's all about her then yeah you're kind of your quids in basically <laughs> on that one <laughs> so yeah it's okay you get a mixed match but it does come down to security but then you get that on the women as well if you know if the women aren't feeling very confident and insecure then they're gonna think that their other half is looking at every woman and wanting to shag every woman in there so yeah it's a mindset do you think it's um made a lot of relationships stronger in this situation yeah, we've seen we've seen a lot, and actually, it goes against a lot of people. Kind of looking in would go, it's, "That's disgusting," and that's going to break up relationships. And um, it's you know people desperate to save their relationships and stuff. And it's a, you know, and it's not because it's sort of it's people exploring together their sex lives together and doing something in the same way. You know, you might bring sex toys into your relationship. You might go, you know, have a dirty weekend away somewhere. It's just it's just sex, and I think that's what a lot of people can't see you know when you, you take the emotion out of it you take the brain out of it this is just it's just sex it's just having fun together there's no emotional attachment in it it's that exploring and also a lot of couples come and they you know they're doing something a little bit naughty together that they're not going to tell any of their friends so they have this experience and that kind of brings them closer um and the communicating, you know, lack of communication is what destroys any relationship. So you've got people that are having these conversations, communicating, kind of let's give it a go or let's just go down there and have some drinks or, and then talking once you're down there and you get, while well, you're seeing it's happening, you're then talking about, oh, that's, you know, that could be fun. It's like watching porn together as a couple. It's sort of, you know, well, that could be fun or no, I wouldn't want to do that. It's sort of what you actually have these conversations because then you learn a lot about each other. So, yeah, it has made a lot of relationships stronger, definitely. And do you think they come in with certain rules before they come in, the couples, or they sort of just find their way um, at these events? Most of them come in with rules, and I always say come in with some, definitely have had a conversation before you come for the first time on boundaries and what kind of you're expecting what you're okay with and and you know a lot a lot of time I say you know just come in going we're not going to sleep with anyone else we're not going to have sex with anyone else we're literally just going to come together and have an experience see what it's about chat to people and you know there are other ones that come in and and actually a lot of the time you know it's the woman in the relationship that is is bisexual or bicurious or so it's a lot of time it's they the couples come and they have that sort of agreement that actually she can play with other women but there's no yeah that he can't have sex with anyone else so it's sort of there's just different boundaries in everyone's yeah relationships do you find there's more women with women trying that than what there are you know is there men with men at all or it's more sways towards them do you know what it um it used to be very much 100% women women trying women men didn't but we have seen you know in the last five six years it kind of more and more men starting to kind of just not full, not really full on, full on, just be more of that touchy feeling more. And I think that's, you know, sexuality has exploded and it's like, you know, it's a thousand shades of like genders and stuff now. So it's, it's sort of, it's society said that it's okay. It's, it's, it's not as when we launched, it was very black and white, you know, you were straight or you were gay and you could be bisexual in the middle, but if bisexual, or by curious was considered like this is 17 years ago was like wow that's like crazy now that's sort of boring being bisexual it's kind of you know unless you're something else and that's just that's a really kind of old school vintage if you're bisexual so I think it's just because there is deciding 
spectrum and I always say that people aren't it's not black and white people you're not in the same place on the spectrum all your life I genuinely think having seen it for this long that people move that you do sort of yeah and especially women women are naturally we are naturally bicurious we sit in the middle of a sexuality scale that's why we're more touchy-feely why we you know actually you know really if everyone's honest with themselves we check out women faster than our other halves check them out um so <laughs> we're much more on that and that's and it's just how we are naturally so, but by doing that and allowing that and opening that up and saying it's okay, I think there's a lot of guys have kind of gone, have gone, well, it's okay for them as well to kind of explore and experiment and, and ultimately just go, well, we're animals and, you know, our sexuality drives us, it's at our core. So why do we need, you know, these like hardcore labels of you have to be this, but that's just society and what religion's done, and you know, since the 17th century, basically. <laughs> now, do you think... You would have got a lot of backlash, no doubt. England, the old school, you know, people traditional on what you said, you know, society should be. You're saying it's changing a little bit, but how was that initially, though, taken? <laughs> Not well. Um, I think my dad smashed his computer, to be honest, <laughs> when, he, when he first saw my website, when mum said he did. So, yeah, it's not... It wasn't taken well, and you know I had friends and family saying I was mad and or disgusting, and a lot of them actually thought, oh, it's just Emma being Emma and trying to get attention and being disruptive. But I was so calm in my head and focused and knew exactly what. And and actually, I have you know a girlfriend we've reconnected in the last sort of five years, and we weren't yeah didn't in our twenties, early thirties, and she she said I'm really proud of you. She said I'm going to be honest. She said I first you know when I first. I thought, oh, you know, she's just trying to get attention. She said, but now I totally get it and can see it. And and it wasn't what we thought at the beginning. So, <laughs> and that, I think that's it. It just sort of, I just put this invisible force field around me of really not listening or giving shit because every bone in my body knew it was right and something that needed to be done and I wanted to do. And I always say that actually, you know, that you're, the purpose, you know, that my I was just a messenger and actually this this mission and the importance of it as far as I was concerned, is bigger than me and bigger than my ego and bigger than my emotions. So I just, yeah, you just then put up with the crap and don't take it and don't take it personally. And um, and you're threatening a dynamic. You know what I what launched and even still now is 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 threatening a societal balance that's been there for you know hundreds of years. So of course, you know, of course, people are going to be up in arms, and of course, you know, you're going to have this backlash, especially from, you know, the the alpha male um, kind who are in control and power of like that's disgusting and and threatening there. And I get it with you know with some husbands of friends and stuff, you just they just don't know how to take me because they feel threatened. And we always joke about how many divorces I'm going to be named in um, as a result. Um, so, yeah, it's that. It's you are threatening their control and the status quo and the narrative when it comes to women and sex. So, yeah, so it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners listening, it's not when they hear this type of party and think, I think a lot of first thing that comes to people's minds, it's sleazy, it's this, it's that, it's, you know, but really, it's not. It's quite controlled. It's it's something that the women enjoy, and it, they're, they're quite protected as well. Yeah, it's not. I was. Yeah, it's really hard to describe it. As background people, friends, even you know, old friends who've come down for the first time. There, this is not what we're expecting. It's like when you when you know there's sex going on. To say it's the most unsleazy place, it's less sleazy than going to bars or clubs or night. It's very difficult to explain it. But the, when you take the testosterone factor out. 
and that kind of sleazy like on the pool and that people you know women feeling uncomfortable and and men also feel feel relaxed and comfortable there that they're not they don't have this pressure of them to have to be the ones to make the move to you know play this the game you know it's sort of both sides have got used to how you're supposed to operate in like the dating world and stuff and it's just sort of so yeah they kind of the pressure's off on that yeah on that front now, as you said, there was, you know, you, they don't all come just to have sex and th- there's probably play roles, there's all. Is it some weird and funny stuff that you would have probably seen that much that's happened over the years? Yeah, and every party there's something. There's it, it's, it's actually really funny. Every party's funny because no one can take themselves seriously. And there's always, you know, there, there's there's always stuff. There's always, you know, people going home in like mismatched suits and we you know we we find like entire dresses left behind and think well how have they got home in that <laughs> or someone will yeah we'll email the next day going I had a black suit but I've just realized I've come home with navy trousers um <laughs> and yeah and you just you know you've we've had amazing scenes of like groups of like female models with strap-ons just all going for it and yeah it's just funny <laughs> it's um an amazing uh formula that you've you've got and has it won business awards has it been recognized in business yeah so we're just starting we actually won one about three weeks ago it's the um it's british like business champion awards we won the growth award which we were not expecting um at all so we've like been shortlisted for like a few but we kind of go well we're never going to win because it's sort of the nature because also the people organizing the awards have got to have the balls to let us win um, and they're going to get backlash from people, you know, the corporate world and stuff of like allowing of letting us win. So it, yeah, so that hats off to that one <laughs> for. Um, <laughs> but so you know, it has on that. But the other founder of that awards thing afterwards, you know, he said he couldn't. He said, "Oh, you can argue with our figures, and you you take away the nature of um, of the business." He said on paper and the growth in the last, especially the last couple of years, when you know half our business on the event side has been flat you know fell out of his ass with no income um it, it's sort of he's yeah he said you couldn't we couldn't argue with the figures there was no way you couldn't have won that one so yeah we've won some like that and then a few like you know entrepreneur female entrepreneur awards but which are great <laughs> when they come up and it kind mm-hmm. of it just add they do you know what they do they just they help me go actually this is right and to keep going because often you know often you get a really shitty day or have a load of slack and sometimes I'm like uh, most weeks I'm like why don't I just get a proper job <laughs> what, what am I doing it's been 17 years but so that every week I still feel like that um so when things like that happen and like that recent one three weeks ago actually was perfect timing because we're in the middle of like a big financial raise and also in a bit of a I was in a, yeah, just in a bit of like, what am I doing? And just knackered, just, I think, just really fatigued after the last couple of years. And everything is so tech. The business is so tech and digital. And I'm a really offline person, quite spiritual person, and like humans and the energy. And I don't like the digital tech world. It's just sort of, it's a real quite juxtaposition to work in a lot of the time. And I've got three little kids. So I was at, yeah, I was having a bit of a, oh, Kind of, yeah, I'm one of those moments where you have to bitch slap yourself out of it. Um, so it came at perfect timing just to go, no, do you know what? We've got this and let's get out there and smash it. So, Well, you would have a, a big team behind you. And, and what did you do in COVID? Because obviously you couldn't have the parties as much. And that was, was it more focused on online? 
Yeah, so it was it was all online. We luckily we had you know our online was good, and we were we just we'd spent like the three years before building out new tech platforms, and a lot of it was launching that end of 2020. Anyway, so the timing for that was perfect to get that all rolled out. And we've got an amazing tech team. I've got an amazing CRO. He's like sort of Rain Man um, on that side. So. I say, you know, and I talk about and that's I benching myself of just going, well, I, you know, you, I, I'm not that front player in the middle of the pitch, you know, captaining the team. I had to sit on a bench and watch and play the best players, which was all the tech and digital side of it. Um, and even on the event side, you know, we didn't do that. But within week one of of lockdown, we had launched these virtual house parties. So, again, they were running that with some of our events team hosting them. And we still do them. So they were every single Friday the whole way through. Um, for like 18 months and now we're kind of doing them monthly because um, they're a good little intro for people to um, get involved. But then we were doing, we had workshops. We turned all our workshops very quickly within a couple of weeks into online ones, which worked really well. And actually that's all now included in like our premium membership. You get two or three workshops every week that you go free. So it kind of, we were in the middle of turning a lot of the, well, the education part was all going virtual. We had the technology. So within a couple of weeks, we had spun it into a whole virtual world we didn't that obviously didn't give us the events revenue we'd had before so that was sort of dead in the water but while that was dead in the water the digital side was climbing and all the new tech was was rolling out anyway so yeah it was kind of it was very much a game of two halves that one (laughs) on both sides of on the one bit yeah one side yeah not great and the other side actually flying so bit with me crawling walls (laughs) so um (laughs) Yeah, I just I did what well, I did loads of Instagram live chats every week. I kind of launched on week one because I was like, I need humans, I need interesting humans, and I need new people, mm-hmm. and I need that energy. And if I can't see them in real life, then I'm gonna yeah. So I was doing about three a week at night of just chatting to interesting people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how does all this and you deal with mental health for yourself? Because I can imagine you get a lot of backlash from certain people in the community. You've got a stressful job. Anyone running a big business, it's pretty stressful. So h- how do you deal with that yourself? I know, it's just funny. I was talking to um, friends I'm staying with at the moment, talking about she's a big CEO as well. And it and it and it's hard because you, and the more you go up, the more of a fortress you build around you of, the, of how people see you. And so the... You know, you're also you're never going to ask for help. That's just because that's just the nature of you of how we operate. And then also, people, you look more and more. The more successful you are, the more you're better. You're doing better, and you're doing fine. So you don't need help, and you don't get you know. A lo- and a lot of people sort of get more intimidated, so they then don't start going. Do you want to go for a coffee or do you want to drink? Because they they think you're busy. Like I'm always, oh, we think you're really busy. You think you're always doing stuff, so you wouldn't want to hear us. And and actually, I could I can more want to. That's you know what I mean. You need it even more. So it's sort of the so on that level, it's a lonely place and it gets lonelier. So I make you know I make a point of I, I I'm aware of it and I know I need people. So I kind of I've always built up communities around me. And my tribe. So, you know, I've had this sisterhood group going for about 17 years and we do loads of crazy races, um, sports races around the world and raise loads of different money for different charities. Um, and they're kind of a bit of a tribe to me. And um, and I've, you know, got them. And uh, so and then, like, this, you know, I've got three kids, but I've made a point of, tra- of befriending, you know, finding the mum friends and finding. So actually the local friends and that, and especially in the last couple of years and not being able to go anywhere, I've got a really good group. So it's that. If I sometimes I can go into a bit of a, 
oh, but I know that, and I'll make a point of going, right, I need to go out and have, let's see who's around for coffees, get a group together, and instantly you're energised. It's easy to sort of sit in a hole, and that gets worse. And um, and I've always loved my sport, so I've always done loads of sport, and, you know, yes, and I've, you know, and I, do, I get anxiety, and I'm still going through a wave at the moment of it, and it's, I think having kids as well, littlies, it's sort of, when you wake up, and you wake up in the morning, and... I have always had manic dreams. Like mum's called them my save the world dreams. And they, when they get really anxious, it's that it's I'm not making it on a plane and I've left something behind. And it's just in this, the dream is like it keeps going. I literally can't move forward or I'm stuck in traffic. And it, it keeps things keep getting added. So I wake up and there's absolute state. So I make a point of, you know, yesterday I had it as I woke up like that. So I just went in the garden and did a 20 minute like hit workout with weights and I, I just and that just sort of in that completely changes it and gets me back so to me that it's the exercise and outdoors as well and we live on the river so I've, with two dogs so I get outside a lot with them I think that's to me that's crucial on that on that side of things and yeah just eating you know eating the right stuff and that I can have weeks of eating absolute crap and think why am I feeling really down and think well actually that hasn't yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what diet and exercise can do for mental health. But yeah, no one talks about that. Take some pills. No, they don't. They don't. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, a lot of parents out there have trouble when their kids are getting older to have that conversation about sex. Now, what you've learned in your business. Will that help you with your kids as they get older, explaining all about sex? Yeah, it will. And, it, you know, and I'm already seeing it. So my, my kids are three, five and seven, so they're little. But they, you know, if you asked my seven-year-old boy about periods, he'd know a basic that girl, older girls, because he's, he's come in and busted me with a tampon and he's like, what's that? And I've given a basic rather than fob him off. I've just said, oh, when you're, you know, when you're a big woman, a big, big girl, you do, you lead like once a month and it helps having babies. And he's like, and he goes, well, Lily and MJ, the sisters, well, Lily and MJ bleed. And I said, yeah, when they're big girls, that was in the conversation. So it's, it, to me, it's kind of not forcing it, but when, well, it's like, you know, he asked what Lily's willy was called. This is two years ago. So she was three, he was five. And I said, it's a vagina. So now they have a strong, it's the, yeah, Lily's got her vagina out. And even the three-year-old calls it a vagina. So it kind of, rather than, to me, it's like, well, why name it something stupid? Because that just adds, that just adds the secrecy and the dirty kind of side to it. It's just a body part. And, you know, boys are told very quickly, it's your penis, it's your willy, it can't. So why should it be your nunu or your fuzzwaz or something, you know? your secret special place when it's just a body part so I think to me it it it's just having the conversations as they come up and not fobbing them off so you know not going deep into it but just basic yeah basic kind of of, of conversations about it it's like the seven year knows like you know willy and a vagina is how how you get pregnant because it, I wasn't going to have a stalk he was like well what's that and I said well that you've the way when you're bigger that's how you get and he was like, okay that was the end of it that was literally the end of yeah. it so yeah I just I, I think it's sort of it's that openness and answering questions when they come up that you're going to have and like on the period front I want a, a boy who you know if he sees his girl you know girlfriends in class struggling or something happens isn't going to be one of those boys that laughs and it's actually going to help them and just go it's just a period so what 
Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, it's sort of that. Because when you, it's, when you normalise it all and normalise the conversations around sex, then it's not seen as dirty and seedy. And, and that's when, you know, that's when people start doing stuff when they do think it's wrong and they're doing something naughty and it's kind of want a bit of a sort of reverse psychology when it's sort of normal, you don't want to do it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Do you think uh, uh, this, with what you're doing, is helping a lot of people because everybody's got their fantasies and, and, and sexual activities that they enjoy. Does that help them? Because society tells them, this, as you said before, it's not something that you should be doing or talking about. Do you think that it's holding a lot of people back and it gives them a lot of stress and mental health. But this, what you're doing, they can let it out. Yeah, yeah, massively. And I, I talk about like the, th- one of the three pillars of like wellness in that you've got mental health, you've got mental well-being, physical well-being, and you've got sexual well-being. And you look at the amount of energy and money that gets spent on mental and physical, and that's all people talk about. And, you, you know, and so much money and so much investment and so much, you know, try this diet plan or try that. It's, and people actually wanting to be... Your sexuality and your, you know, then your gender and your, it's your core. It's what drives all of us. It more than religion, politics, any anything. It's the absolute being of us. So, but yet we ignore it. So why? To me, it makes no sense that you don't spend enough time, and effort, and money, and energy on your sexual well-being than you do your physical and mental well-being. And it, it's yeah, it's to me, it's crazy. It's sort of, and I think when you're not then you're not being true to yourself. You're not looking after yourself. You're not learning about yourself and your absolute core being. Um, So it's going to cause frustration and unhappiness. And I think a lot of, you know, the bad behavior in the world when it comes to sex and affairs and everything like that is people aren't being honest with themselves. Um, And they haven't been. They've just gone through the motions of doing what they think they're meant to do. And that's just depressing your the, your true self and it's going to implode it's things are going to happen um you're not going to be happy so yeah so one you know one big thing with us and what we're trying you know we're, we're trying to do and it's with all the tech and digital side of it so it is normalize those conversations around sex and actually say don't you want to be having your best sex and your best sex lives and really know what drives you sexually and what drives your other half sexually i mean how many couples do you know really know what their other half really likes because they haven't even thought about it, and especially on the women front. It's like, I have conversations with women all the time, and they're just like, well, we haven't really thought about what we like, because it's never been a question. It's like, you just, just go through the motions of having very vanilla, you know, sex with your husband, and sex to them is like, it's the man coming at the end, and sex is done. It's sort of, you know, it's it's really depressing how many people see that, you know, in couples, that's that's what sex is. And you just know that it's very easy to fix. It's probably easier to fix than mental health, to be honest. And it's, and it's easier than, you know, losing five stone and changing your diet. It is easier to fix your sexual well-being than it is all your other well-being. So, yeah, it's a really frustrating thing to see, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. We do a lot with mental health. We do a lot physically with people as well. But now we're touching on the sex side of things, which I never... Listening to you, it's really opened my eyes as well on, you know, probably the mistakes I've made throughout my life. And I think it's something that a lot of people will take a lot away from this. Yeah, and that's the thing, and I'm not perfect. You know, I'm 44, so I'm actually stuck in quite grounded ways, that messaging that's been ingrained in me and stuff. So it takes a lot, takes a lot for me to 
think about what I want you know you know I preach it but it's sort of sometimes I'm like well have I when was the last time I practiced it or had a proper conversation with my husband or you know it's sort of it is it's very ingrained in us um so I think it's that being aware of it and as you said like open your eyes a bit to kind of and to think about it um and a lot of people don't feel really embarrassed in the awkward conversations but you know there are ways of doing that and it's and it's you know, it's just sort of once you start, once you open that floodgate of the initial conversation, then it's done. It, yeah, no one likes awkward conversation. That's right. I think the and the big point is just to talk about it. I think you're right. A lot of couples they don't speak about it, and that that creates yeah more problems. Yeah, exactly. Now you did do a book behind the mask. What was that about? So that was that was ages ago as well. That <laughs> really has been another eight years of killing kittens since that. So that no, that was like sort of the initial kind of setting up the behind the yeah behind the, behind KK and the stories. And actually more personal of like me setting it up whilst trying to have relationships and find Mister One and stuff. So yeah, so that's that's what behind the mask is about. It's kind of it's fiction because I had to change the names of everyone including my exes, <laughs> so I didn't get sued. Um, so, yeah, you read it like fiction, but it, it, it did all happen. <laughs> <laughs> so well, was it difficult having relationships when you met guys and they found out sort of what you actually did as a, as a business? Do you know, it was, it were, yeah, there were a couple of ones that were tricky um, and didn't like it and were very kind of controlling of it and felt threatened by it, but... There were others that did did support it to one level, but then thought this early doors that it was a phase kind of thing. You know that actually I wouldn't be doing it, and like, well, what would what's going to happen if you know if and when we have kids? And they go, well, what does mummy do for business? And my answer back then, this is like fifteen years ago, I remember saying it was, I'd like to think by the time I do have kids, that society would have changed and be in a position to where it's not a big deal, and it's and actually, sure enough, I've now got the kids, and it is like that it is more open and um it doesn't yeah and it doesn't matter so yes so and my, I've been with by Harvey now for like 10 years of those 17 and he so he came in knowing exactly what I did but he keeps to himself and he was never a London person he's a sportsman and it was sort of he knew from day one it was business and could see that it wasn't me personally wanting to get my tits you know just rocks off type thing um and yeah he sort of championed it and lets me just lets me crack on with it. So that's what I would say. It's sort of you can. I always say to girlfriends, actually, you know, in relationship, when they go, oh, "What this boyfriend is this and is that," and I always say, "But I say, is he kind? Is he kind?" And also, what have you achieved? The way to see if you're in a right relationship is like, what have you achieved as an individual whilst you've been going out with that person? Because even if I look back at some of the relationships and they were good, I went backwards in professionally in some of those relationships uh, or just trod water I didn't achieve anything with James now it's like I've flown and business has flown so I think people should look harder especially girls of like what they've achieved as an individual or are achieving whilst being in that relationship because you might think you're in a good relationship but if sort of you're not going anywhere (laughs) or growing then (laughs) yeah it's not great (laughs) Well, that's good. I'm on my third marriage, so hopefully I'm on my last one. I could take some tips here and uh, <laughs> see how I go. <laughs> I was sort of got a mate of mine that you know very well, Simon Patterson Pato, and uh, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't take a lot of advice from him either. But uh, yeah, great bloke. And it's probably Although over ten years since we've been. He's been in a long marriage. <laughs> he has done. He's done way better than I have. So yeah, he's done well. So it's been a long time since. Uh, 
we've been over there at, in England. But the other thing I, I, I saw, and I don't know how true it is, is Simon Cowell producing a TV show on the book. Is that something that's in the pipeline? So we were, we were in talks to do it, but then the option ran out and also it wasn't... I kind of got in my head the way we've, we've signed, and I can't really say who, we're signed with another... And not, and it's not the book. It's we are not, not not doing anything with the book. I'm just doing the stories of KK basically, and as a. But to me, it's, it's always that gritty, gritty dark British humour of a series because it's sex and it's British in it, rather than rather than some LA Hollywood one that gets Americanized and and that's kind of so it wasn't really a direction. Yeah, didn't it didn't sit well with the Brit the ones we got at the moment are Brits. Um, so we shall see. What happens? Well, I actually mentioned to my wife that uh, I had an interview tonight. I said, oh, Emma Sale, and I said, oh, I met her about 10 years ago over in England with uh, with Pato, and she goes, Emma Sale? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, she runs the uh, Killing Kittens, and uh, she's had that the book she had out. She said, no way. She said, she's read the book. So she's read oh the my uh, God. Behind <laughs> the Mask. Because yeah. there are not yeah. that many people who read it. <laughs> yeah, so she's actually read it back back then when it when I think it came oh, out. Oh, how so, funny. Yeah, so <laughs> she, that was, uh, she was blown away. So, yeah, small world. Oh, I say thank you to her for that, that, <laughs> that book sale. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emma, it's been great having you uh, in the Beach Shack and, and telling your story of, uh, about it. And it's... Uh, Something that I think will really help a lot of people, and and that's something I want to do is, no, and you said it before, normalize, normalize sex. I think that's something the society should really take hold of. Yeah, that's the thing. That's our mission. So, onwards. <laughs> Great stuff. Now, at the end of the interview, I'm going to throw. I do a segment called Five Fun Facts. I'm going to throw five fun facts at you and uh, put you on the spot and see how you go. Okay. okay. Now, the first one is, what are you most proud of? Well, my business, but I think having three kids whilst growing this business, whilst still doing the business, I think being able, yeah, to do both and have that balance. I think having the balance in my life that I do um, is I'm probably most proud of. It'd be easy just to do one of them. Um, well, not easy, but to be able to balance, yeah, it all out to do it all. Yeah, probably. What reality TV show would you most like to see made? Do you know what? they? The I would like, because you were that married at first, we were talking about that married at first sight type. They're dating, they're, all the dating shows are very heterosexual kind of Love Island type. I would like... I'd like a TV show to with the ins and outs where the experts are. Well, people like me, all psychologists <laughs> who of that kind of the thousand shades of of sexuality and relationships and the opening up of marriages and the communicate then that normalizing the sex. So actually teaching couples the really ins and outs of their relationships to have better sex and have better relationships. That's what I that kind of reality show I'd like without weirdos. They always, you know, they always attempt to do the odd one, but they throw in really, not weird sex experts, but sex experts that don't, they don't they're not normalising it, they're not mainstreaming it. They kind of, they're still fringe, and so I'd want a real mainstream Love Island Married at First Sight type show with the experts who are very mainstream type to normalise it all. That's what I'd like to see. Silver lining you discovered from COVID? Silver lining was that actually I could, I could buck off for six months and... 
it wouldn't affect my business because I've got an amazing team, basically. That I could bet I was able to bench myself for the first time in, yeah, 17 years. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a party trick? Well, I did a year out between like school and university and worked in a cocktail bar on the beach in in Camps Bay in in South Africa, in Cape Town, and learned to flare. So when I'm drunk, the the bottle (laughs) juggling comes out. (laughs) Not so good now, not so good as I was, but yeah. What is the most unprofessional thing you've seen someone do? I see it all the time, to be honest. Do you know what it, well, on a business, well, you know, there's, there's, I'm professional sort of in the workplace. I mean, all there's like in the corporate world, you know, we're like we're raising funds and I see it all the time with like male investors who just ask really inappropriate questions or go, well, I've got to run this past my wife. And you go, well, do you run all your investments past your wife? And so it's sort of, I think, I think to be honest, that question I see so much because of the nature of our industry and what I do and the way I'm treated. Yeah, it's hard to kind of pinpoint pinpoint something I mean you know on a work front seeing you know having to sack an events manager because she was shagging her boyfriend in the back of one of the parties it's sort of yeah <laughs> it's, it's kind of <laughs> but I do see yeah on their on their work there's a lot <laughs> well Emma it's um it's been a pleasure it's great seeing you again it's uh yeah you too it's been a, a long long time but uh you've had great success with the business um congratulations with that and uh continue the education because I think it's going to help a hell of a lot of people. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. And, um, well, yeah, should see you back in with Sydney. Don't go losing that third wife, Hopper, okay? No, I think <laughs> I've got the, uh, I think I've found the right one. You've I think I'm going to, I'm going to hang on, hang on to this one. Okay, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> now let's go to Beach Banner. This week in the Beach Shack, we've got Jesse for some Beach Banner. Hey, mate, how are you? Hey, Hop, I'm good, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Uh, I was thinking the other day, you know, the times we went down for the Logies in Melbourne. About, uh, oh, weren't, weren't they good times? <laughs> mate, they were really, uh, really good. And do you remember the first time you went down for the Logies and we actually, uh, you know, put the suits on, we walked the red carpet. What was that like for you? Yeah, mate, it, it was uh, it was kind of surreal, you know, from being a kid that used to, to watch the Logies on TV to actually walking the red carpet and seeing how much of a big deal it really is. Like even before you walk down the red carpet, you, you're looking at people that you'd see on TV all the time. It's, uh, yeah, it was a surreal feeling. You're seeing people, like you said, on TV – and, and even the older ones that you've grew up with, it's sort of a surreal feeling, isn't it? When you're walking through and the, you've got the crowd, you've got all these legends of TV, you're sort of rubbing shoulders with? Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a weird feeling because, uh, you know, a classic example for me is I would watch Sandra Sally on the first at five news since I've been, you know, a, a young kid. And then next minute I'm at the Channel 10 after party Slapping her up, bra boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate, I know. And, and that walk can take like a half an hour, and you go up into the main room where there's all these tables, and we sit on the table, and they start the uh, the uh, presentations. Then, and yeah, and I feel like 
it is because you when you, you you walk the red carpet and you're like, wow, that's crazy, you know, like it's like there's a lightning every couple of seconds from all the flashes and everything going off and then you, you're seeing, you know, all of these people that you, you look up to your whole life and then once you get into this room, it's like the production is crazy. you got, you know, you've got cameras coming over your head, you've got, you know, all these, you know, beautiful flowers and beautiful setups all around you and you're like you just you sat there right in the middle it's crazy and then also like you when you need to go outside and, and go the, to the bathroom and things like that you've got to do it in the ad breaks don't you because they shut the doors yeah. well that's the thing people that's what people wouldn't understand like mate, these these award ceremonies they go for like four or five hours like they don't just happen over an hour or two like it's it's a massive 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 process you know you you want to go to the toilet and you know next minute you go for a toilet and then you they shut the doors on you and you're you're locked out there and then you look next to you and you're like you know you got someone like Carl Stefanovic or someone standing next to you like oh hey mate how are you and then you end up chatting to them to the the next break and then they open the doors and let you back in it's um yeah it's crazy and then sometimes there are so many people outside, but what about the funny thing when you've got the people lined against the wall, which they call chair fillers? So any gaps where you're stuck outside, they'll throw some random into your chair to cover it so it looks like the room's full. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's that's what you think. You're like, oh, my God, you know, like they're going to start filming and I'm going to be outside. I'm going to get in trouble because I didn't make it back. But yeah, like what you said, they've just got people waiting to, to sit in your seat. <laughs> I remember early days, the Logies, when we first went down, they had the bar outside in that auditorium. And what had happened is people would go to the bathroom, go to the bar, and they'd all be chatting outside, and then the doors would lock and there'd be no one inside. So they'd have to run around, make sure, especially if you're up for the next award, they'd have to make sure those people are, are back at their table. Yeah, like it's like what I was saying before, because, you know, that the area where they have the Logies, it's massive. You know, there would be, what, a 100 tables, maybe more? Yeah, probably more. There'd be over a 1,000 people, I reckon. Well, that's what I mean. It's a, it's a massive area, and that's like what you said. Imagine filming something and then coming back after the break and then half of the people are outside at the bar. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And, like, I remember one story. This is a funny story. We're walking the red carpet. You you actually there with us, um, me, you and Maxie. And then uh, you got caught up and, and you went up the stairs and me and Maxie were there and we had um, the radio host, Will and Woody from Western <laughs> Australia, who we become really good friends with because of the Rotto Swim. Yeah. I'll never forget it. I just kept seeing Woody's face and he was just popping up everywhere and he was obviously doing interviews for their radio station. And he kept saying to me and Maxie, get me in. Get me in. And they say the Logies has the tightest security out of any event in Australia. And me and Free and Maxie, like, <laughs> you can't you can't take us anywhere. Every time we've seen Woody, we would say, mate, we're going to get you in. Don't worry. We're going to get you in. And, yeah, exactly what happened. We got stuck outside for an ad break. And who, who popped up? Woody popped up. Next minute, when we come out of the ad break, we took him in and we sat him on the table with us with Channel 10. And I think it was, so there was me, you, Maxie, was Beatty? Yeah, Beatty was there. Yeah, Yeah, Beatty was there. And then we had um, 
the, the bachelor people that were going to be on the show the year after. So no one really knew who they were, but, you know, I think they get taken there to see what the experience is like because the next year all the lights are going to be on them. And I'll never forget, I remember we walked in with Woody and we brought him to our table and we didn't have a spare chair and he's kind of hanging around and I just remember looking and our executive producer for Bondi Rescue, Benny Davies, just like kind of looked at me like, who the F's this bloke? And I just thought, <laughs> oh, oh, what have we done? And then I think that was the last time me and Maxie have ever been allowed back down there. <laughs> I, I remember seeing Woody there and I think we ended up shuffling around and got him a chair somehow. I think we put him in there somehow, but... Yeah, it was yeah. a, it was a, oh geez, that was a funny time. And then we go to the after parties after that, back to Channel 10's after party. And next thing you know, it's like two in the morning. It just goes so quick. Yeah, it flies, mate. It's a, it's like what they say when you're having fun, mate. Time flies. Mate, it's been um, an amazing journey. You know, we've won six Logies over the years, which is unbelievable for for the show that we do. And uh, you've been a big part of that, so. Well done, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Hoppo. Thanks for that. I've had um had some unreal times with you. Mate, we've had a, a absolutely crazy times. Mate, thanks for coming in and uh, telling your story. Uh, we'll catch up at the beach soon, mate. Cheers, Hop. See you, mate. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. Okay, this week's letter... In the mailbag is from Penelope, and she is from Brisbane, up north in the uh, warm part of Australia. Penelope says, what is that big green tractor that goes along the beach at Bondi? Now, Penelope, that's uh, the beach rake. What it does, it goes through the end of the day after we've had the massive crowds and uh, works throughout the night. And that rake basically picks up everything from rubbish to cigarette butts. It churns through the sand. And first thing the next morning when you turn up, Bondi is looking beautiful and pristine. The white sand is back and ready for the crowd to return. So it's a daily thing, seven days a week, and it's something that really helps clean up the beach because there are there are people who leave a lot of rubbish around, which is, uh, you know, quite shameful when uh, we see that at the end of the day down at Bondi. But... We've got things in place to uh, clean up the beach so everybody can enjoy every time they come down to Bondi, especially the tourists from around the world. So thanks, uh, Penelope, for sending that letter, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.